You may be seated. Still talking though. <laughs> there we go. Can y'all hear me now? Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Whatever happened to that old show? Can you hear me now? Uh, but it is good to be here with y'all today. We're celebrating Senior Sunday, and I'm excited to see how these five seniors go off into the world to serve God's kingdom and whatever profession they choose and whatever they do with their life. A lot of the times on Senior Sunday, people will come up to the youth minister and say, Thank you for what you've done for our youth. I wanted to say to you all, these five seniors here, they're what I like to call lifers. They have been at this church for almost their entire life, if not their entire life. Abby and I have only been able to be here with them for about two years now. And while it's been a great two years, I wanted to say thank you to all of you here that have watched them grow up. My mom is here this morning, and she always said growing up, it takes a village. And for all the parents here that uh, have these seniors, I'm sure that they can relate to that. I want to say thank you to all of you as you've inspired these seniors, as you've helped raise them, as you've teach, taught their Bible classes, as you've um, been in small groups with them, been in life groups with them. So just thank you to all of you. The most important thing for, for students is to have an intergenerational faith where they get to see adults loving on them and caring for them. And it is such a really, really cool thing to see that this church has done so well with these five seniors, is, is raising them and, and passing on the faith, if you will. Um, as I was thinking about what I wanted to preach on this morning, I was thinking about, you know, what would I have wanted to hear from a senior Sunday sermon when I was graduating high school? And the word that came to mind in my head was doubt. And so this morning, we're going to be talking about doubt, beyond doubt. Now, I want to be honest with you all. This has been a really hard sermon to write. Um, I've really wrestled with it. Um, and so if I get a little emotional today, um, I just want to apologize. Um, it is, it's been a hard sermon to write, just because I've realized in my own life, this is something I've been wrestling with. This is something that has been a staple in my faith, this word doubt. And I'm sure for a lot of you, you share the same, the same ideas, same sentiments. So if you've got your Bible this morning, let's go ahead and turn over to Matthew chapter 28, the chapter that Logan just read for us. So in the Gospels, the four Gospels that we have, there are what scholars like to call 13 post-resurrection appearances by Jesus. 13 times after Jesus had died and rose again that Jesus appears to people. Now we know that Jesus walked, walked the earth for some time after he rose again, before he went, went up to heaven, but there are 13 different times recorded in scripture that we get to see Jesus appearing to different 
people. We get to see him appear to, the, to Mary um, right outside the tomb. We get to see him appear to the, to the men walking on the road to Emmaus. We get to see him appear to his disciples multiple times. We get to see him appear to a crowd of almost 500 people. And so there's 13 different times that Jesus appears to these people. And then one of these different times is in, that is recorded is in Matthew 28. In fact, we get to see a few different times that Jesus re, uh, appears to a few different people. And so here in Matthew 28, we get to see Jesus on top of a mountain with his disciples before his ascension. Now something really interesting, these disciples had traveled across Israel to meet Jesus here at this mountain. You know, they had come a very long way to meet Jesus here. And so when they get here, when they get to Jesus on top of this mountain, you know, they've walked across the country, they've climbed a mountain, and now we get to see them walking up and seeing Jesus. And Jesus gives what we like to call the Great Commission. He gives them the most important um, thing, mission for them to go out and do, to go out and to make disciples of others, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit spirit, to tell people the gospel, that Jesus is the Son of God, um, go tell the whole world. And it's really interesting what happens right before he delivers this great commission. And it's in verse 16 and 17, the verse that Logan just read for us. So right before Jesus is about to give the most important charge and mission statement of all time, we often skip over this verse and don't realize it. In fact, I didn't even realize. I'd been skipping over it for years. The Great Commission is one of my favorite, like, go-to scriptures that has, like, really influenced my life. And I didn't even notice this until James and I were talking a few weeks ago about this. But in verse 16 and 17, it says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And so we get to see these guys that have been walking around with Jesus for a few years now um, get to see Jesus for the first time and after he's been resurrected. And it's really interesting how they respond. They're worshipping him, but at the same time, some of them are doubting. They're not sure that what they're seeing is a real thing. They're not sure that this dude that they've been following is this dude that's in front of them. I mean, how could it be? I mean, Jesus died, he rose again. That's, that's not possible. That's not possible. And one of the things that I love about the Bible is that the Bible does a really good job at letting us know that human beings are, are far from perfect people. We, we are far from perfect. And it makes me feel a whole lot better that these dudes who we often praise and look at as near perfect people are messing up, are having doubts about this guy that's just resurrected, this Jesus, their Savior, their Messiah. And it doesn't stop there. You know, doubt is a theme that we get to see over and over again throughout the Bible. It's, it's, it's prevalent. You know, we get to see Abraham and, Ze- and Zechariah doubt that God, God's plan for them to have children in their old age. We get to see the Israelites doubt God and his ability to lead them, and so they ask for a human king. Um, we get to see prophets like, like Elijah and Elisha just have these powerful moments, these powerful godly things happen. You know, I think about Mark, Mount Carmel where the prophet is just having this battle with, with, these, with these, this nation of people that are opposing God and he's just taunting them. He looks so brave. He looks so brave and he's calling down lightning and fire to start this fire. And then in the next section 
of Scripture, we get to see that same prophet cowering in caves, afraid for his life. Same prophet who'd just done this godly thing, got to see God, God's power in action, and the very next thing, he's hiding in a cave. You know, and it's not just biblical times that we get to see doubt. If we get into a little bit more of the modern age, we get to see modern heroes of faith like Billy Graham say he has doubts that God will consider him a good and faithful servant. He's gone out on record saying, I hope that God says that to me. I hope he says it to me. He doesn't say, I know it's going to happen. He says, I hope that God considers me a good and faithful servant. We get to see people like Mother Teresa express that she's experienced time when she could not see or hear God. When God has been silent and hidden in her life. She hasn't been able to see this God. And I just want to come out and say, if you are a Christian, which is probably most of you in this room, it is inevitable that we're at some point in our life, if not multiple times in our life, going to go through a season of doubt. Doubt is a normative thing in our Christian walk. It's something that all of us are going to experience. If the dudes who actually got to walk alongside Jesus for three years and, and see all of the awesome things that he had done doubted, we're going to doubt as well. It's, it's an inevitable thing that's going to happen. You know, Barna Research, um, which is a Christian research company, kind of does research over, goes and interviews Christians, goes and interviews churches, did a, a study in 2018 about doubt in the church. And what they found was really, really interesting. They said that two out of every three Christians admit to experiencing a season of doubt. Notice that a season of doubt. It's not just a day. It's not just an hour. It's not just a minute. A season. You know, days, weeks, months, years. Doubt could last a while. More than a quarter of Christians admitted that they are currently experiencing doubt. So if we take that 25% of you, one out of every four of you, if this is true, are doubting in some way, shape, or form right this very second. And a really scary stat that came from this research is that 46% of Christians who admitted to having doubt responded by no longer attending church, stopping their church attendance. 46%, almost half. And so now, even though doubt is a normative thing, that doesn't take away from the fact that it's still a real scary thing. And I want to be completely vulnerable with you all for a moment. I just want to be honest with you all. This, this, this doubt, this word doubt, it's something that, you know, I'm experiencing in my own life right this very second. It's something that is, and that's hard for me to admit to you. I mean, when, we, when you think of, when you're a minister... It is hard to say, I don't have it all figured out. It is tough to say that. And, and it, just recently, I, I want to share with you a story about when doubt just overcame me. So a few weeks ago, we, the youth group got to go on a spring retreat with six other churches in the Oklahoma City Metroplex. And it was an a, amazing weekend. I, I would say that of all the youth trips that I've gotten to go on with our youth group in my, in my short time here, this was definitely one of the coolest weekends that I have ever gotten to see. I mean, we got to see six different churches come together and be unified for a whole weekend. We got to see students that didn't know each other come together and fellowship with one another, spend time together, get to know one another. You know, we had 150, or, uh, about 120 
students there. Just a huge number of, of Oklahoma City teenagers coming together for a weekend to be together. It was an awesome weekend of worship. We had a keynote speaker, his name was Adam, and he was there just talking about real faith. And I'll never forget, Abby and I got to spend some time with all of the high school seniors that were on the trip. We, we kind of split them up by ages into little smaller groups, and Abby and I were with the seniors. And we were in a small group session um, th- that, that afternoon, Saturday afternoon, we were with this smaller group of high school seniors. And to give you a little bit of a backstory, we had three girls that went on this trip, not from Lake Oma, from a, from, a, from a couple other different churches, who quite literally hated each other. And, and when I say hate, I mean they hated one another. They hated one another so much, one of the girls went to a different church. Her family straight up went to a different church because they could not get along. And there was this girl in our small group that almost didn't come on the retreat simply because she heard that this other girl was coming on the retreat. She almost didn't come because she hated this girl so much that she could not bear to even be in the same vicinity as her. And it was so cool that Saturday afternoon, this girl opens up with tears in her eyes saying that after the morning lesson, her and that, those two girls and that, the girl, the two that were clashing, got together, reconciled, and forgave one another. And this was like a two-year process. Like left, left churches because of it. And got together, forgave one another, reconciled with one another, and told each other that they loved each other. Like if that is not powerful to hear, I don't know what is. And so this is what this weekend looks like. This is what this weekend looks like. So many good things happening. So much awesome worship. And we get to Saturday night. And our speaker Adam was talking about what it looks like to have a real faith. And he asked us to take a second to kind of reflect on that. What that means for us in our life. What that means for us in our life. And I remember sitting there and feeling nothing. I remember sitting there and thinking, I don't feel anything right now. And I started to question, it, it kind of overcame me. Like, and I've had thoughts like this before, but it was very overwhelming. A sense of, is this real? Is this real? I mean, I've devoted my whole life to this Jesus figure. and I've devoted my career to Jesus doing ministry. And here I am questioning everything wondering. You know, I'm, I'm in this place where I'm thinking, how, what, am, what am I going to do? How do I tell Abby? How do I tell my family? How do I tell this church that? Very, very dark place, hard place to be in. And I'm going to pause that story, but I'm sure a lot of you can relate to that feeling. I'm sure a lot of you have been there. I mean, you, may, you might have been sitting here in this room Right here, an amazing worship is going on around you. Or you've just witnessed something really amazing, godly thing happen in your life. And all of a sudden, you're just feeling like, man, am I sure about all of this? I mean, what if it isn't real? You know, in Christian circles, when you start to doubt, it's scary. It's scary. And you want to ask questions, but sometimes you wonder, am I the only one that feels this way? Am I the only one? And if I ask this, what are they going to think about me? You, you know, you want to ask these questions, but you feel such an overwhelming sense of guilt and shame. And it is in, in my personal opinion that when I look at the 46% of people whose responses to stop attending church, 
that they don't necessarily think that God isn't good, but because they have these questions and don't feel safe asking them, I'm convinced that there are some people that just don't feel like they can safely express their doubts, so they just stop coming. You know, we all battle with, with doubts, and there are usually a few reasons why. One of, the, one of the reasons is that we have questions that we simply cannot answer. You know, you, you come across something in the Bible, and you're just like, what? what, what? They might say something here, or, or, and then say something else here, and you're just like, what is going on? What, what does this mean? And a lot of the times, you know, if, if, if you've studied your Bible, you know that there are questions that we cannot answer. There are questions that we cannot answer. And so a lot of the times we end up in this place where we're doubting because we have these questions and we want to be, a, it is in our human nature to know all of the answers like the back of our hand and we just can't know them. And so it's, it's really hard and difficult for us to understand and so we start to experience doubt. You know, other times our doubt can source from unfair situations. You might wonder why you pray to God when you're struggling and God doesn't seem to be doing anything about what's going on. You start to wonder if he loves you. And then there's that age-old question of, of why, does, why do bad things happen to good people? And why do good things happen to bad people? How many of you have asked that question? I ask that question all the time. Why is this happening to these people? And then there, there's, there's this stuff in the world, things like COVID that we've just gotten to see. Uh, children starving, wars in Ukraine. And, you know, the list goes on and on and on. It just makes us want to go, yo, God, what is going on? What is your plan? What is, what is this? We start to doubt. Sometimes it's that there are hurts that you just can't resolve, often from people that you considered safe or places that you considered safe. And all of a sudden, you've been hurt by these people. Maybe it was a hero of yours that did something bad, somebody that you looked up to, and all of a sudden, they've messed up. That's hard to see. That's hard to be a part of. You know, we talked about that 46% of people that, that leave church because they feel like they can't ask questions. A lot of the time, that's because they've experienced real Serious church hurt. People of the church have hurt them. You know, it, it's, it's just something that's hard. And, you know, a lot of the times, I, I kind of want to speak a little side trail here. I think that a lot of the times, we as Christians, we really stink at this thing called grace. Like, we really stink at it. I mean, it's, it is really, really hard for us to have somebody come to us with doubt and show them, show them grace and show them mercy. You know, so many of us have good intentions, but we just get into this place where we can get so locked in on the Bible says it, I believe it, and that settles it. And it's just very black and white for us. I know that I've been in, the, in places like that in my life. I remember when I was a freshman in high school, I had a friend open up to me about who was experiencing some, some doubt and sin in his life. And as he's telling me this, the, the first, my response to him, and, I, and like this is so, such a, something that I still look back on and, and have a really tough time forgiving myself for, I looked at him straight in the eyes and I said, you know you're going to hell, right? And like how many of us have been in a place like that? Like somebody walks up to us and is expressing some serious doubt, some serious sin in their life, and our response to them is just to condemn them. To tell them you're wrong and you need to get right. You're wrong and you need to get right. When someone has a question and they can't find an answer that's so important, we have to be gentle with them. Someone hurts them. There's a theological question. They feel let down. There's an unfair situation. If a stick won't bend, it's going to break. And sometimes people feel like they have a question, and they feel like the only option they've got is to walk away from God, because even the church, which people I've got to say should be the safest place to experience, to, to share doubts with each other, isn't, is not a safe place. I'm reminded of verse 22 
in the book of Jude where, it said, where the author writes, we should be merciful with those who doubt. When somebody comes to you with doubts or questions, simply expect that you're not going to be able to help those doubts go away just like that. You know, sit there and love them, listen to them, minister to them. What an opportunity to show Christ's love to somebody else in their times of doubt. So that was a little bit of a side term, sorry. Let's get back on track here. Um, but when you look at these whys, I'm sure a lot of you can relate, but because doubt is such a hard thing, we often want to get out of it as quickly as possible. And if I'm being real with you, the majority of the time, this isn't going to be an overnight thing. You know, we talk about seasons of doubt. It's going to take months. It's going to take or even years of wrestling with your doubt before you can overcome it. And everybody doubts, everybody's doubts can be a little bit different. We doubt different things. But I want to offer some practical, biblical advice on things to think about when you are in a season of doubting. And so the first is that when you are doubting, the best thing that you can do is confess your doubts. You know, I know that can sound like a super hard thing to do, to confess our doubts to one another. Oftentimes to even confess our doubts to God. You know, it's hard to do that. It's especially hard to confess doubts to God because a lot of the times our doubts are in God himself. And it's hard to go to God with these doubts when we're not even sure if he's listening or if he's even there. But one of the really cool things, if we turn our Bibles to Psalm chapter 13 in verses 1 and 2, we get to see the, the psalmist write, How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? And so the psalmist is simply coming here before God and confessing, confessing doubt in God. He's crying out for help. And I can't imagine the anguish that he's going through, but they are simply laying it all out in front of God. They're confessing their doubts. They're sharing their doubts with God and pleading with God for an answer to the hurt and suffering that they're feeling. And so I love the end of this psalm because it kind of brings me into the next piece of advice I've got. It says, But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. So you see here, after the psalmist confesses these doubts, he doesn't just give up there. He doesn't just stop. He leans into his doubts. He continues to trust God and he keeps on showing up. He keeps on showing up. I mean, based off the research, almost 50% of the people who participated in the study, gave up and stopped coming to church. And so for those of you sitting here this morning that are experiencing a season of doubt, I just wanted to applaud you because you came. You continued to show up. And I know that church attendance isn't, isn't everything. I know that, that it's not everything. But when I say continue to show up, continue to show up in prayer. Continue to show up in study of God's word. Continue to show up by loving others. And it's going to be hard, but it's so worth it. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is the story of the Apostle Thomas and how he responds after Jesus' resurrection in John 20. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to John chapter 20, verse 24 through 28. I'm going to read this for you. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, notice that a week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. 
See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And so I love this verse because for, for a couple of different reasons. The first is that Thomas kept showing up. You know, Thomas expresses doubt, confesses his doubt. And then a week later, he's still with the disciples. He's still in the house with them. These dudes that, that are believing, or at least the Bible says that they, they believe, he's a week later in his doubting self still with them. He continued to show up. He continued to be there with them. And I can't be sure why they're together because Scripture doesn't tell us, but he is still choosing to be with the small group of people who do believe that Jesus is alive. And I can't be for sure exactly if Thomas was doing this, but if we look at the other Thomas sightings in Scripture, we can see that this guy is a big-time question guy. And he is a big-time follower of Jesus. You know, one of the phrases that I love is that our doubt doesn't disqualify our faith. Our doubt doesn't disqualify our faith. Thomas is faithful. If not one of the most faithful disciples throughout this process, even when he's in the season of doubting, he has proven over and over again just to want to be with Jesus wherever Jesus goes. When we look at John 11, the narrative when, when Lazarus dies, you know, Jesus tells his disciples that they're going to go see, um, that they're going to go see Lazarus, and, and this, this, this dead guy, mind you, and it's in this town where the last time the disciples and Jesus were there, they tried to literally kill them. And how does, how does Thomas respond when all of these other disciples are kind of silent on the issue? Thomas tells Jesus that, and tells all of the disciples that he's going to go with them and wants them to go with them to see Lazarus and that they're willing to, he's willing to die for Jesus. He wants to be with Jesus that bad. And another place that Thomas shows up in scriptures, John chapter 14, you know, Jesus tells his disciples that, you know, he's going somewhere, he's going to come back, but he's preparing a place for them. And how does Thomas respond? He's the first disciple to respond and chime in. He asks this question, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Again, Thomas just wants to be with Jesus. And that's why, but he keeps on showing up. Why he keeps leaning into his doubts. Why he's allowing himself to grow and be challenged. And that's such a cool thing. The important thing about leaning into our doubts is that we are going to grow the most when we're asking questions. When we're allowing ourselves to be challenged, when we're not taking just this lukewarm faith, when we're actually diving in and saying, why? Why? What? What's going on here? God is going to grow us in those moments. And so that was kind of the first cool thing is Thomas kept showing up. But the other cool thing is how Jesus responds to Thomas when he shows up. You know, Jesus shows up and he doesn't disown Thomas. He doesn't say, you're not my friend anymore. He's not, he doesn't say because you didn't believe in me, like, you're done, get out of this room, you're kicked out, excommunicated. No, what, what Jesus does is he walks in, and he gives Thomas exactly what he needs to believe. He walks in, and he says, touch the holes in my hand, touch the holes in my side, holes in my feet, and Jesus gives Thomas what he needs. He gives him exactly what he needs. You know, we might have to sit in our doubt for a while. We might have to keep showing up, but God is going to give us what we need to help us through our doubt. I know that's hard to believe, but I feel the Bible and feel with 100% confidence that God will show up and give you what you need. You see, when we doubt, one of the best things that we can do is to remember God's faithfulness in our life. I love the last part of Psalm chapter 13 
when the psalmist writes, He has been good to me. You know, the psalmist, despite his doubt, is reflecting on his life and the faithfulness that God has shown to him. He's remembering that even though his life is filled with bad things currently, that God has filled his life in the past with way more good. This, uh, this past week, uh, James and I got to go to a conference in Dallas, and the, uh, there was a, a worship group there named Shane and Shane. I'm sure some of you have heard them. And they, they kind of, interesting that has been really necessary for me um, is that that night was super scary, and I kind of faked it for the whole night. You know, went to bed, and I remember laying in my bed, facing the pillow, and just confessing my doubts to God, saying, God, if, if you're there, I, I need a sign right now. And the heavens didn't part. I didn't see God in his glory. I didn't have, like, a vision or anything like that. But as I was reflecting on my life and thinking about all these things, you know, I saw myself back in high school reading the Gospels for kind of the first time, like, for, like, real, like, really reading them and trying to understand them and, and looking at what, they, what was there. And I remember being blown away. I remember, I remember sitting there and remembering my high school self being blown away that this Jesus was able to love people as broken as I was. And I remember reading that it is by grace through faith that you're made right with God. And in that moment, laying in that bunk, squeaky bunk, full of doubt, that word faith really resonated with me. You know, and I thought to myself, it's always going to take faith. And if there's any proof at all, what Jesus did in me is proof. I was lost, and then I was different. And I discovered that faith is not the absence of doubt, but faith is the means of pushing through it and to continue taking steps, step after step. You know, when we are doubt, there's no need for certainty. We just need to keep taking steps. Now, for some of you in here, you might be wrestling with doubt right now. Um, the stat's true. One out of every four of you currently experiencing a season of doubt. I don't know what your doubts are. Doubts are different for everybody. Um, but I just want to encourage you. I want to encourage you. One, confess your doubts. Two, keep on showing up. And three, if not the most important thing, Remember God's faithfulness in your life. God has done so much good in our life. And if God, can, if God can do good then, God can do now and in the future. We see it over and over and over and over again. And so this morning, if you are experiencing doubt or something like it, asking questions that you, you can't seem to get over, we've got people here that are ready to talk to you you've got church members around you, the church should be the safest place for you to be able to express these doubts. And so this morning, if there's anything that we can help you with, if there's anything that we can talk to you about, just please come forward as we stand.